0: Welcome to Torah Talk, a program that challenges two thousand years of misunderstanding and neglect of the Torah, God's law. In this show, we will be threshing ideologies by examining these scriptures in their Hebraic contexts. Our goal is to separate the wheat from the chaff, the truth from misconception. This program is sponsored by The Harvest, a Messianic Charismatic congregation in Thornton, Colorado. Shalom, lovers of the Torah. Thank you for choosing
1: to listen to Torah Talk. We have a great podcast for you. We will continue our midrash from last week on how the church lost the battle on homosexuality. We had a great, great podcast last week and uh, uh, answered some pretty uh, interesting questions and talked about the whole issue of uh, sexual sin related to adultery homosexuality bestiality and so forth and how the nation has lost its path and the church is footing uh... primarily due to the fact that it has neglected the torah for two thousand years now neglected the torah has misunderstood the torah and in some places and at some times flat-out rejected the torah and so of course the church is losing the battle because it can't make its case anymore the, the, the more it says, well, this law uh, has been done away with, then everyone else says, well, what basis do you say that you, the law you're citing is in place? It's so arbitrary. The argument is lost on, on those grounds due to the fact that when you piecemeal uh, the word of God, in the end, you lose all of it. And so the answer, of course, is for the church to return to the Torah and begin to address these great issues and then hopefully become a light to the nation uh, itself. And so here we are in part two of our, uh, podcast, and I'm sure you're finding this topic, uh, certainly, uh, exciting and enlightening. Uh, and, and maybe you don't think it's enlightening at all. Maybe you just beg to differ and you're upset, but that's good too. Uh, let's have dialogue. Let's talk about this. Let's find out more importantly, what the creator has to say about this. So we're going to jump into part two and that is what does Jesus and Paul say about homosexuality? And uh, before we get started and jump into this podcast, I want to stop and just welcome Torah teacher BJ to the show and to our guest today, Minister Don. How are you both doing? And last week we had this big topic and big discussion. Any final thoughts as we move on to Jesus and Paul? We heard from Moses. Let's, let's hear from the Messiah and from the Apostle to the Gentiles, any any comments to
2: start off? I'm certainly glad to be here, and this is definitely an important issue, and um, it helps me study the issue even more for myself to make sure that I understand it yeah. and have it clarified in my own mind. You
1: know, after last week's uh, show, you had brought up the idea that, well, um, the penal code changed. Are you saying we should stone uh adulterers today are are we are we to stone homosexuals and those who practice bestiality? Um and of course we'd say no. Of course not. What are you saying that that that, that changed? We're saying yeah the penal code in its application can be different in every generation depending on you know what is going on in that generation. We would make the case that with the arrival of Messiah that the age of Torah and the prophets came to its apex. And now the transition is into the very promise of the coming of Messiah. It's the age of Messiah. When Jesus came, the era of the Messiah began. Messiah and his kingdom was inaugurated. And with the Messiah came grace upon grace. Moses gave us the law. But in Messiah, truth was realized. And the clarity of that truth brought about a much more gracious application of the law, especially in terms of the penal code. So now, in relationship to those behaviors, instead of stoning the individual, there's grace upon grace. Now, if a person refuses to repent of these abominations, that person would be excommunicated from the community of faith, put outside of and shunned, And the net effect would be the same as stoning. The net effect is they're cut off from their people. But it's grace upon grace. They're still living. They can repent and come back into that community of faith. That's the grace upon grace. So the penal code in its application can change, but the moral code never changes. What is evil and wrong is always evil and wrong. But the penal application can change under different administrations and under the administration of Messiah, there's grace upon grace. So I thought, you know what, let's, you know, come back to that and clarify that based on last week's show. Now, BJ, did you have any other comments, too, before we jump forward into the Messiah, and Paul.
3: My encouragement to us and to the listeners is just that when we're looking at situations like this where we've got, you know, it's a hot topic and most of us have someone in our family or friends who we love, but they're, well, all of us have someone in our family and friends who we love who are living a lifestyle that they they shouldn't be living. And how do we love them, but at the same time, not excuse the What I really want when I'm looking at something that's a a sin issue and trying to understand it is to think to myself, am I really trying to find out how the Lord feels about this or am I trying to find a way to excuse my sin? And so if I'm looking at something and I think, okay, well, let me figure out how to make this not sin or how to make this not a big deal. Then I have a different mindset of when I'm really saying, okay, Lord, you convict me of what you want to be dealing with with me about. And so looking at the scripture and instead of trying to make it into what would be least offensive to people or what would be most politically correct or what you would feel, you know, less conflict with, uh, instead of looking at it that way to look and say, Lord, whatever your truth is, that's what it is that I want to know. That's what it is that I want to hear from you. And then at that point, you know, move on from there instead of, instead of this world where we live in of going, well, let me show you how it is that that scripture isn't applicable because,
0: um,
3: and instead saying, okay, Lord, if, if it's abominable to you, then I don't need to figure out how to make it not abominable. Right. And so, you know, if, if that's what you say it is, then that's what you say it is. And it doesn't mean I can't love someone who is falling short. It doesn't mean that I have to be out with my banner and it doesn't mean, but at the same time, I'm not going to say that something that you say is abominable is acceptable
1: exactly, and I think that's a great point. We are not here to go and tell people uh, that's an abomination. Oh, over here, what you're doing—that's an abomination. Hey, what are you thinking of? That's an abomination. Stop that. That's abominable. No, we're not. We're—that's not what we're doing. We're saying we are um, believers. We are people of faith. We believe in the Creator, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel the God and father of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Mashiach himself. We're saying as that community of faith, we are governing ourselves. We are telling the redeemed community, these things are an abomination. We should not participate because the Lord, our Lord, our God told us not to do that. Now, here's the deal. I'm not going to go and try to force that on other people. But when other people outside of the community of faith, from other world religions or from uh, pagan religions or from an atheistic or agnostic background, a secular humanist background. When they asked me to weigh in on the discussion, well, I'm going to share, it. but you asked me, why are we having this show? Because you brought it to the Supreme court. It's on the front page of almost every newspaper. It's daily before our faces. You know, you can't, you can't get around it. Caitlyn Jenner's everywhere. So you know what, since you've asked and forced the issue and want the dialogue, then here's what we believe, but don't berate us for our belief. We have every right to speak out just like anybody else. And so we're sharing because we're solicited. We're asked to share. And so we've entered the, 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 the forum, the discussion, and that's what we're doing. You know, uh, I I thought this is just amazing. We, we, we heard from our president before his first election, he ran on the platform and the mantra of hope and change and he promised that he would bring hope through change and that that change would be a fundamental change he would fundamentally change the nation and i thought what is he talking about what is he really alluding to and no one no one really knew until about the last you know 6 months the last year when all of a sudden he switched gears And he said, um, actually I am pro same sex marriage. Uh, whereas before early in his, in his first, uh, couple years, he made it very clear that marriage was between one man and one woman. So I thought, well, this is interesting. Where's this going to go? And so he became one of the biggest proponents of change in the nation, being the president in swaying people to embrace, uh, same sex marriage, um, now, I thought to myself, this, this this is like amazing because some of his philosophical ideologies was expressed in these short phrases that who would argue with that, you know?
3: Right.
1: Love is love. I think a person should be able to marry the one they love. I mean, just on the surface, does that, that sounds, I like that. A person should be able to marry the one they love. But a deeper look at that, Wow, what does that ultimately mean? What does that mean if I love three women or five women? What does that mean if if a woman says I love five men? What does that mean when four couples say we all love each other and we're going to enter into a joint marriage contract between four couples? What does it mean when a father says I love my daughter, or a mother I love my son, or a brother I love my brother? Or a sister, I love my sister. Where does it end? Where does it stop? I love my dog. I love my cat. I love my it horse. It doesn't stop. It yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. If if you should be able to marry the one you love, then a, a brother should be able to marry his brother. And, and and so think about that. Think that through a little bit. Take these little, little uh, tweets that come out of the White House and other places and just think about them. And ask yourself, where does this all go? What does this really allow for in the end? And it is really um, a push for and a celebration of sexual anarchy. And people think, wait, oh no, wait, before you go there, sexual anarchy, sexual anarchy. I heard this, I forget who I heard it from just the other day, but I thought it's true. This is the age in which we say there are no sexual norms between consenting adults and consenting, including in, uh, animals that would consent. You know, I don't know how you ask the animal if it was okay. I guess if the animals... Uh, yeah, anyway, we don't need to go there, but that's where it's all going. But the point is uh, we are in an age of sexual anarchy in which... which if it's true that love is love and you should be able to marry the one you love, then guess what? The next laws that are going to be broken down and dismantled are the laws concerning polygamy, uh, the laws concerning bestiality, uh, the laws concerning incest. That—that That is what's coming. We have lifted the lid of Pandora's box and unleashed... The spirit of sexual anarchy.
2: And we've heard other people, when you even mention some of those bizarre things, they say, oh, that's so silly. That's never going to happen. You know, it was about five months ago. They were talking about this particular man that actually made a film of him falling in love with a dolphin. Yeah. yeah. And has had sexual sexual relationships with the dolphin. And the dolphin loves him also. And it's all on film.
1: And I'll, I'll guarantee it's not Flipper, okay? <laughs> that was just crazy anyway. So, uh, but yeah, you're right. It it opens the door and there is there are cases right now that are being uh, addressed in different nations related to um, incest and legitimizing it and, and and those that want to marry a brother or sister having the legal right to do that. Uh, and of course, the polygamists have lined up and they are banging on the door right now to, to get... Uh, sanction and rights and equality in marriage uh, before the law, so it is unleashed and uh, and again, our topic is uh, what happened to the church in this debate and And my premise is the church lost the battle quite a long time ago yeah. for the reasons already stated in the previous podcast but let 's jump uh, into this because we believe that if we embrace not just the New Testament, but the Old Testament too. If we look at the word of God as a whole and embrace it as a whole, that's the answer to not only coming back and being reformed, but also safeguarding our blessing and happiness in life as we return to the ways of God. So here's the argument, of course. Uh, people have made the point that Jesus hasn't said anything um, about homosexuality. He doesn't address it. He doesn't say anything bad about it. And when you think about it, Jesus is primarily silent on that issue. We have a few passages where he talks about marriage and he establishes marriage between one man and one woman, but he doesn't say anything about homosexuality. He doesn't say anything about two consenting homosexuals that want to live together in a monogamous relationship. He just addresses a heterosexual marriage. So because it's silent on the issue, at least that's the premise or the proposal that he's silent on the issue, uh, how can you then say he's against it? And I followed the logic of that. That makes sense. But here's where it all falls apart. In Matthew chapter five, we have this interesting statement on the lips of Jesus, which I think, as we look into it, fully establishes the fact that he is totally anti homosexual behavior. So here it is. Matthew five seventeen through 20. Do not think that I came to abolish the Torah or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill for truly, truly. I say to you until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the Torah until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven.
3: This is interesting to me because we had a conversation about, is there a different level to certain sins? And I think this does give us an example of, uh, my understanding is that Yeshua sees that there are least commandments. And so there are commandments that he sees as weightier than the others. And so when he says, uh one who one who annuls even the least of the commandments well that in my left brain mind said that there are some commandments that are um weightier than others and i think a good example of that is when we say so what was the repercussion of that so it, you know seeing the punishment up upon it makes uh it seem like it might be heavier or lighter based right. upon what it is that that was but when, when we're looking here and we have this conversation of, oh, well, adultery and murder, those are all still really, really bad, but eating shellfish, not really a big deal. Well, even though one of them might be weightier than the others, it doesn't diminish that they're both still sin.
1: Yeah, and that they're both still in effect. If he says, you know what? If you remove even one of the least of these commandments, you're considered to be least in the kingdom of heaven. That, that makes the point that even the less lesser of the commandments are still valid.
3: Right. He didn't say if you remove any of the top 10, right you know, right. I mean, it was yeah. even the least of it. Find what you think is the least important of the commandments, which I know the rabbis yes. fight over, which one is the, the least of the commandments, whatever you decide is just the least of it. It has the least repercussion. It's the least harmful to other people. Even that one has not been done away with, but yet we're fighting about things that brought a death penalty.
1: Yeah. 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 Which is the point. If the lesser is intact, how much more is the greater? If the lesser is still relevant, how much more the greater? And that's a great point. And I I, want to drive this home and I want to say when he made this statement, what he said was this. Not only are the least of the commandments intact, those would be like dietary laws. But the greater ones, like "Thou shalt not murder," "Thou shalt not commit adultery," "Thou shalt not lie with a male as you would a female," "Thou shalt not lay with a with an animal, a beast, as you would a human." Those are certainly, most certainly relevant. There, there, there it is, right there on the lips of Jesus, his affirmation and solidarity with all of the law including the sexual norms including the laws that prohibit the abomination of adultery homosexuality and bestiality right there so when people say oh he doesn't he doesn't ever address it well it's because you don't read very close closely you know you're not attentive you're not reading his words uh, with with a larger view in mind that uh, he did have something to say about that so I think right there it kind of settles the question
3: right and he there's there's other things he didn't talk about, but we don't assume that that means that those weren't applicable to him. You know, he had a a period of his life where, I mean, to be honest, I don't even know if he didn't address it. I know it wasn't written that he addressed it. Right. To say that because it wasn't written down, that he didn't address this means that not once in his lifetime did he talk about it still being immoral. I think is an unfair statement. Also, his goal wasn't to come back and just reiterate everything that had already been written the assumption was that that was his valid That's right. that uh, was his foundation yes. you know that 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 was his foundation there were things that he raised up of saying you know, yes, you know that adultery is wrong, but I'm telling you, don't even look at a woman. Well, it it was almost like he was saying, yes, of course that foundation is valid. Here's what I'm trying to help you to understand with it. So just because he didn't come back and just sit and read to us all of the commandments again, doesn't mean that those weren't all still applicable. It was almost just, well, of course that is. Yes. You know, I mean, of course, that's what he would believe. Um, and for us to say, well, as long as it wasn't written about, then I guess it wasn't a big deal to him. Yeah. Just seems really like you're trying to prove your own point. Yeah.
1: Any argument from silence, any direction. Right. He didn't say anything about indoor
3: plumbing either, but I don't feel like he had necessarily an opinion on it. You know, right, like I right. don't. I think just because he did or didn't talk about something is an unfair right. position to, to make but, a,
1: a statement on. Yes. But to say that he didn't say anything about homosexuality isn't quite true. He did right here in the passage. Right here when he said, the law has not been done away with. In fact, I came to fill it up. I came to fully bring it into to all of it. strengthen it. Yeah. So he did. He did, by way of a general explicit statement, say all these laws, including Leviticus 18.22, is intact, and I'm going to strengthen it. And so if, if you were to follow his logic and rationale, I think it would be fairly safe to state something like this. You've heard it said of old, thou shalt not commit adultery. I say to you, if you even look at another woman and lust for her, you've committed adultery already. And I think you could, you could go on to say, um you've heard it said of old a male shall not lie with a male as he as he does with a female it is an abomination i say to you if a male even looks at an, at another male like he would and desire him as he would a female he has committed homosexuality in his heart already it, it would run right. in that type yeah. of logic and rationale he's not doing away he's strengthening and so this whole deal of Jesus didn't really say anything about homosexuality, is just a decrepit uh, 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 falsehood, right? In every way.
3: Well, and I think the biggest, I think one of the biggest uh, helpers of this movement of uh, it no longer being applicable has been the church. We have been the worst examples yes. of yes. this, yeah, yeah, oh, absolutely. Yes. Because yes. if if the world tells us that something is something that's immoral is okay, that in my head makes sense. I'm not saying they're right, but it makes sense to me that people without God are going to behave in a manner that does not represent God. That, that makes sense yes. in my head. It so saddens me that our witness as a church on the whole has been, this commandment's been done away with, and this commandment's been done away with, and this. we have been yes. the greatest testimony and the greatest uh, encouragement to the homosexual movement of, of making it seem like it's okay. I would, I would yeah. go
1: as far as to say that maybe we've been the forerunner. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe that part of the church that views the Torah as being irrelevant and done away with has been the very forerunner of the homosexual activists' agenda and victory in our nation. And that is a sad, sad legacy for that part of the church. Now, there is a part of the church that says, no, the Torah has not been done away with. It's a very small part of the church. It's primarily found in, in, in groups like the Messianic Jewish movement, for instance, um, and, and that is, I think, the hope of the church is this clarion call among the prophetic voices that are saying to the church, yes, we're saved by grace through faith and faith alone in the son of the living God. But that faith that saves is never alone. Uh, the God who justifies also sanctifies and the work of the spirit is a work of sanctification. We are called to live in accordance with the law in harmony with the law that's why it was written on our hearts. It's written on the hearts of the, of, of the, of the, of the believer, the born-again believer, in order to walk in it. And, and that's going to be the hope of the church finding her footing again and then becoming a light to the nation. Right now, she's not a light. She's very confusing. And she has now uh, kind of jumped ship and is, is, is jumping into uh, this whole politically correct philosophy of love is love, and you should be able to marry the one you love. There's nothing wrong with two human beings of the same sex loving each other and marrying each other. Um, that's where the church has been going for the last 15, 20 years, and, and uh, that's why she's lost the battle on this. Now, the battle isn't over, of course, because ultimately you cannot overthrow the kingdom of God. You cannot overthrow the king. You can't overthrow his son. You can't overthrow his people, Israel, and you cannot overthrow his law. He's the king of heaven and earth. So for those who identify with the king and the kingdom of God and the people of God and embrace the Torah as a way of life, uh, we've already won and the victory is already ours. And people now just want to, people now just have to decide um, what, what group did they want to be a part of? What, what two humanities do they want to identify with a fallen humanity that is narcissistic or a, newly created humanity who's being redeemed and is returning to a way of life that is actually serving uh, the interests of humans everywhere. That's the choice.
3: Another one of the things that you hit on that I think we've really done a disservice to is the concept of grace. So I'm, I'm super pro grace and I'm very grateful for grace, but we've taken it to be where God is gracious and, lo- and loving and kind and then we've taken that to not just a place of forgiveness, but a place of, and so now it's okay for you to stay that way. And so we've really done a disservice by teaching grace that didn't have, you have grace for your forgiveness, but don't be deceived that God, ex- you don't get to, you, what, you get grace and then you just keep living the same lifestyle that you've always been living? What kind of grace is that? You yes. know, that that's not grace. And so to say God is good and loving and gracious but he he absolutely has expectations for what yes. it is that we look like. And if we say if we if we have a teaching of grace without the holiness that relates yeah. to that, then I think we've we've again not just not been good at it. We've actually been really good for the enemy to use that and yes. say, "Well, God is a God of grace. So go and live your life in whatever way it is that you see." It's been used against us because we haven't, we haven't given a clear picture of what it is that that grace includes. That grace has to be matched with a holy God. Yes. It's not grace to still live in your debauchery and still live in your right. immorality. It's grace to take you out of that. That's, That's right. God's grace. Yeah, it's not saved, God's grace to leave us yeah, in there. He
1: saved us in Egypt in order to bring us out. There's a grace for justification but there's also a grace given for sanctification.
3: Well, and I feel like we're a people who were living in Egypt. We say that God has saved us, and we're still building more bricks with less straw, and we're calling it grace. Yes. And you're not crossing over into that freedom, and we're you know and we're we, saying we're and we we're, look ridiculous.
1: Yeah, that's right. And we're saying we're happy about staying in Egypt. Yeah. We're yeah, saying, hey, I'm gay. I'm happy in Egypt. When when in reality, we're not happy in Egypt. No, we're miserable. We're not at peace. This is not a lifestyle that that brings blessing and satisfaction and 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 meaning. It's it's not true. You you can listen to all of the uh, growing number of former gay people who have found the grace of God, the forgiveness of, of God, the redemption, the restoration. And, and they, I've not heard any gay people qualify or former gay people qualifying that lifestyle is, it was really great, but I finally gave it up and came to Christ.
2: Even transgender, you know, I heard a lady that gave her testimony of, you know, she was a woman, she changed to a man, she got born again, she saw in the scripture that it was wrong and she changed back into a woman.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and what's wrong with that? Because if you can change gender, why can't you change gender? Oh, yeah. you can only change it one time, <laughs> and then if you change your mind, you can't go back. Come on, you know what? It's fluid, and you can you can shape and be shaped in uh, in a lot of ways in terms of your sexual orientation. Uh, it's it's somewhat fluid, which gives hope for everyone that has fallen into the deception and seduction of sexual perversion that there's a way out. Absolutely, absolutely. So and it is
3: seducing. It is. That's a great word for it because yeah. there is that seduction of just, you know, when you start to play with just a little bit of fire. And yeah. then at some point, you know, you had said this uh, recently was at some point you wake up and realize you've devastated everyone around you. And how did you get to that point? Yeah. Yeah. Because it, it is a seduction. It's not like you're just... Uh, you know, one day go from living a holy lifestyle to then living complete debauchery. That's yeah. not how it happens is that you, you allow that to become acceptable and you allow what you, you know, you, you
1: embrace it, you accept it, you believe, and, and, and you be, you become that. absolutely it's a process. Um, so, um, you know, I think that, um, well, let me, let me close with this. Um, God, God made it clear that because of the widespread sexual immorality among His people—not not just homosexuality, but adultery, which was its predecessor, and the bestiality, which was a uh, uh, stronger perversion—he um, said, "Because of this, I'm judging you, and I'm going to engage the land, and I'm going to create uh, some some consequences or bring some judgments that are going to be horrific." and I will break you as a nation. Um, I think to myself, what's going to happen to America? What's going to happen to America? Because even though the church is is in in some ways pathetic and cowardice on these issues and has become politically correct um, and no longer is the conscience of the nation or the light of the nation, that doesn't mean that the battle's over. What that means is God's going to step in. I believe he'll step in like he did over and over and over. He judges the nations, not even just Israel, but all the nations, based on his holy law. And I think that, that America being uh, uh, the first superpower, I mean, I mean, Ireland beat us, right? I, but, but the men wear skirts over there. I think they call them Celts, So you know what? I'm not surprised they beat America. But America, within a couple months, also sanctioned for the first time in human history, same-sex marriage. And I think to myself, wow, what's that going to look like? Will that solicit more judgment? I, th- I think so. We're in the Shemitah year, the seventh year of the last cycle of judgments. 2008 was the beginning. 2001, 9-11 was the beginning of the previous set of seven. I'm thinking to myself, I'm not sure what's planned for the nation, but I would bet the ranch that God has planned evil and calamity. And I believe we're going to see a kickoff of some of that probably in September and October of this year which marks the beginning of a new cycle of seven. The Shemitah is going to hit the fan. Are you ready? It's time to draw close to God, get our lives right, get our lives in order because the storm is coming. So that's it. I I do want to say this. God is very gracious. He's very compassionate, quick to forgive. You know, I mean, I mean, it's easy to just humble yourself and say, okay, God, I admit it. I'm all messed up. Help me, save me, and there's great mercy there, and God is able to keep the righteous in the midst of judgment. Uh, so, so you know, but uh, His grace does have limits, and judgment is the sign that His grace is is running out, and uh, and even in judgment, there's a mercy and a grace. The judgment's designed to bring you back to Him, uh, but it is a severe grace uh, that we that we find in the midst of judgment.
2: That's right. Do not take my grace and trample it underfoot. Yeah, that's right.
1: Okay, good. Well, that uh, that brings us to a close uh, for this particular program, and we'll pick up some of the passages in uh, Pauline Theology in the weeks to come to continue to address this. Special thanks to our great King Yeshua the Messiah and my co-host to our teacher BJ and my guest today, Minister Don. Thank you for, for being on the show. And a special thank to our listeners and supporters. You guys make this happen by sharing this podcast, by getting it out, by rebroadcasting it. Uh, you you help uh, us to join others in becoming a light for the nations and to fulfill the great purpose that was given to Israel to be a light for the nations. Thank you. You know we have supporters that just pray for us all the time. We have people that are getting our podcast out everywhere. We have people that actually send us finances on a regular basis that are not a part of our community, but they believe in what we're doing. They're a part of this work, and they identify with this call uh, uh, on Israel to take the Torah to the nations, to take the glory of Messiah and the Torah of Moses to the nations. And we just want to thank you so much for your ongoing support. It makes a difference. It makes this show and our ministries possible. Thank you so much. I'm your host, Torah teacher Mark, and until next podcast, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Prince of Peace, Yeshua the Messiah. Shalom.
0: Torah Talk has been brought to you by The Harvest a Messianic Charismatic congregation located at 8891 Poe's Boulevard in Thornton, Colorado. Your host has been Pastor Mark McClellan. Join us for Sabbath services at 1 p.m. next Saturday afternoon. For more information, please call us at 303-761-9948 Or visit our website at www.graftedin.com. God bless you and Shalom.